Uh, hi folks. So content warnings for this week. I'm looking at this. Let's see. Um, weed swears. Oh, we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, 2020 and Trump. Um, <clears throat> I talked to John Scalzi and I guess swears should be a given, but so we'll do that one a little early. Um, yeah, we swear a lot. Often we swear at the other thing we're going to warn you about, which is our pets who make noise and get up in our business. And yes, Sergey, now you're all love when earlier you were destroying my office in a fit of hangriness. So, hey, there's all your warnings. We're marked explicit and, um, yeah. So, hi folks. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 223. We have a really long interview with John Scalzi this week. And I'm excited about it. Uh, it's not Dino length, but it's right up there. So, I mean, I had a great time. And we're recording a little early, so we don't have much of an update. Yes, uh, it is Monday because the next two days are booked up with other stuff. So yeah. uh, I, uh, we don't know how our week has gone. Yeah, or, or how it's going to go. I mean... We could, we could just make shit up. So I want a Nobel Prize. How about you? <laughs> um... The only thing I'll say is we were actually planning out the next uh, three weeks worth of work today um, with the official planning session happening, I guess, tonight or tomorrow. Oh, this is real. What's All that? Right. Oh, this is real. This is real. Uh, yes. Okay. I didn't really yes. win a Nobel Prize. People. I know. Not I know. that you uh, not that you thought I did. There would have been a whole lot more on Twitter about it if if you had. Also, I don't think they give one for, you know, mm. shit posting on Twitter. I mean... If so, then John would have won it already. <laughs> Probably. Like yes. twice. Um, the one big thing I will talk about is thanks to a coworker, uh, I was able to get a severe discount on a Remarkable 2 paper tablet. Mm -hmm. And I actually really love this thing. <laughs> I'm. Uh, it's, it's like the first quote-unquote paper tablet that has the real potential of replacing like my paper journal. Interesting. Uh, and I'm going to talk to Reagan. Reagan, I haven't emailed you yet. So if I haven't, by the time this episode comes out, then we're, you know, uh, but Reagan has Reagan Earl has been doing some custom planner pages for me. And I'm going to talk about getting those sized or adjusted to fit the remarkable. It's actually, I'm, I'm really surprised at how ridiculously good this thing is. So, and it's light and it's thin and it just does one thing and it does it really well. So that's, that's been pretty much all for me this week. Um, I attended Big Bad Con. We will have the organizer of Big Bad Con on episode, um, 226, um, Sean Knitter. And it was a great event. I'll link you to all of the panels. Um, great discussion about game design and diversity, and they're like an incredibly diverse uh, set of panelists and people having discussions. And uh, there was one particular on project management for uh, as game designers, and I have asked all of the panels to come on the show. Uh, and so far, I think three out of the five has accepted. So I'm excited about that. Um, and that's about all I got this week, or at least at this point this week. Who knows? All hell might break loose in the next 24 hours, and uh, next week's show will be all about that. So there's that. Are you ready to hear from John, sweetie? Uh, absolutely. Yes. yes. 
So, for those of you who don't know, John Scalzi is an award-winning science fiction fantasy author. He is a blogger. He has been a journalist, like a real honest-to-God journalist. And so I sat down and I had a chance to talk to him. And we're going to share that with you right after this. here today with one of my favorite people in the world. And I know I say that about everybody I interview on the show. I really, 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 really extra really mean it when I say I'm, you know, today we're talking to Ron Scalzi, who is an award-winning author, a uh, raconteur of some sort, and uh, always on the social media, except when he's writing books. Um, and uh, John, can you possibly do a much better introduction than I just did? I, you know, I don't think so. I think you just nailed it perfectly. But, <laughs> but. Having, having, but having said that, I will, I will go on about myself for just a couple more minutes. Um, I am, as uh, has been noted before, I'm a writer. I write science fiction. Uh, and I have uh, done pretty well with it, I have to say. You know, uh, books have done reasonably well won a couple of awards, uh, you know, go to conventions and people go, wait, I know who you are. I've read like one of your books. It was okay. So uh, that's pretty much who I am and what I do. Yeah. So the, the big question we're here to answer, um, or at least the first of the big questions we're here to answer, how do you keep yourself organized? <laughs> <laughs> organized. Is a is is a really fungible term I find. Um, the you know the thing about it for me is um, what I end up doing a lot uh, is relying on uh, other people to be organized for me, uh, and that sounds really super lazy because it is. Uh, but on the other hand, it does actually work pretty well. Like for example, um, Chrissy, my spouse. Uh, she is one of those really, you've met Chrissy. She's oh, yeah, super, yeah. super amazingly organized. And if her life isn't organized, she begins to be unhappy. Um, so she is very good with that sort of stuff. And we have a relationship where we have complementary skill sets. There are things that I'm really good at that she's not so good at. And then there are things that she's really good at, at that I'm not so good at. And organization is one of her massive skills. So basically one of the things that I do is I offload a lot of the organizational stuff to her because it makes her happy to have our lives organized and it makes me happy uh, to be organized by someone else who actually knows what they're doing. So that is one of them. The, the other thing that I do that I think is really useful, um, and it took me forever to realize that this was a thing that I could do, um, is that I have organized my time when I'm writing. Like, so like, for example, when I'm writing a novel, 
Um, I always write pretty much between eight and 12, eight in the morning and noon. Uh, and there's reasons for this. The first is, is that I, I'm old now. So morning is when my brain is the freshest and I go ahead and uh, do things that way. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I, once I'm done, then I can look at the rest of the world. If I look at the rest of the world too early, then I get angry. Uh, so I finish the work that I need to do, and then I can deal with email and whatever's happening in the world and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And that sort of scheduling of the day, which again, seems really simple, but is a thing that, you know, took me until my mid thirties to figure out, uh, really makes a huge difference. Having that structure there um, and having it sort of a, a, a kind of an imposed way uh, has really made a difference. And this isn't that much of a surprise to me. I've always been a person who has need to ha needed to have structure sort of imposed from outside. Like for example, um, I went to, the, to college at the University of Chicago. And one of the reasons that I went there is because they had a highly systematized um, schedule of classes and things that you had to do in order to graduate. And I knew at age 18 that I had the structure of a jellyfish. So bonding myself to a school that would provide me a academic spine uh, made a huge difference in my ability to actually, you know, do work. So this continual realization that I am a person who needs to have organization imposed from outside uh, has been a really useful realization for me. Hello? Hello, I can't hear anything. Okay, so we're just going to edit that part out where the receiver microphone just died because I forgot to plug that in after recording last night. Um, okay. <laughs> I was wondering what had happened to that. I'm just like, all right, here we go. And why is he asking if I'm still here? Oh, look, the little light is not on anymore. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I was going to say... Um, that's that's interesting because I know um, Ursula has also had to learn how to structure her time differently. Um, yep. And it, it changed somewhat uh, after her ADHD diagnosis last year, and uh, she was able to focus instead of being quite so scattered, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. But I don't I'm dare try to impose it on her. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, and I'm also not surprised whenever I hear that uh, someone who is creative um, has ADHD. It sort of is the occupational um, uh, diagnosis for a lot of uh, creative people. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's partly because or just the way that your brain works. You know, people, people always ask, where do you get ideas? And part of the answer to that is they never stop coming. And that's sort of, you know, that's kind of an ADHD sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Where, where things are just keep coming at you and you're like, oh, I should process that. Oh, I should process that. Oh, I should process that. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. I don't think that I am uh, personally ADHD, but I will tell you what, this last couple of years really made me question whether or not my own self-diagnosis of not having it was actually <laughs> anywhere accurate. 
because the last couple of years have been extraordinarily difficult to uh, concentrate on anything. Again, partly because of the world uh, yeah. and just the and and just the way that I was uh, uh, processing it. So there was there was a certain uh, last year in particular, 2020, where I yeah. was just like, is there something that is not right with me in a medical sense that I might need to speak to someone about because it just got because it literally just got that bad for me. Um, and the answer, I think, in the short run is no, because and we can talk about this later if you want. Um, yeah. Once I gave up on a particular project that was basically causing me, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, all sorts of pain, another one popped into my brain and I was able to write it in like five weeks. So right. I was like, nope, I, I can focus. Uh, but, uh, but I got to tell you, I mean, what a challenge. And also, again, uh, when I hear someone's like, I've been diagnosed with ADHD, I was like, this surprises me not at all. Yeah. Uh, all of us, when Ursula was like, so, uh, it turns out I have ADHD. Pretty much everyone who who knows her was just like, no, really? (laughs) We've been trying to get you to go in and get a diagnosis for, you know, two years. And it took you six months to remember to fill out the paperwork. Really? Right. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, and, I, and I feel for that. I mean, for, for two reasons. One, because I think not just creative people, but people in general are often the very last people to recognize in themselves the things that yeah. everybody else sees about them. So there's that. But it's also, as you say, it's like, do I have ADHD? Possibly, but I don't have time to think about that right now because I got blah, 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 to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, and, and I will say that... Um, in the people I've talked to over the last year, you're not alone in the, um, not just in the, yeah, uh, over the course of the past, say, four and a half years, who've had <laughs> decreasing um, amounts of productivity and sure. just a general thing. But like in the last year, so many people have had to readjust and refocus and figure out how what they need to do to get back to, if not where they were, at least back into a, a uh, situation where they can uh, actually, you know, finish the things they start or start things that need to be started, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, and I think that that's, you know, very telling. I think it was a very difficult, you know, uh, four years for a lot of creative people, not only because, you know, uh, the person who, I mean, let's, you know, let's just go ahead and drag it out into oh, yeah, the yeah. open because, yeah, let's say, uh, because of the Trump administration was just basically uh, a huge uh, attention puller for anybody mm-hmm. who, almost everybody who was creative, uh, because, you know, uh, correlation is not causation and so on and so forth. But most people who are creative tend to, tend to be liberal-ish in some way or another uh, to varying degrees. So having someone who is uh, you know, basically, uh, chaotic evil in the, <laughs> uh, in the white house was, was not great for anybody who, you know, uh, kind of went the other direction. I'm definitely not saying that all creative people are, are good or <laughs> lawful good. I want to be very clear with that. We're yeah. all, basic, <laughs> I, I think we all tend to be, we all tend to be chaotic and oh, yeah. we all kind of, and, you know, the, and the strange attractor for us tends to be in the neutral area. Uh, but, uh, but it was just really hard. It was pulling focus all the time because, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
because creative people also tend to know people who are, you know, uh, marginalized in one mm-hmm. way or another. Um, you know, they're part of our peer group. They're part of our circle of friends and trust and everything else like that. And to have four years of the people that you love and care about is just, you know, continually attacked, even for, oh, yeah. you know, some, even for someone like me, it's like, you know, I'm a very straight white dude. And yet I was like, I can't focus. I can't imagine how anybody who is not a straight white dude can focus at this particular point of time. Um, and I know that it affected me. I mean, there is, uh, you know, uh, the, the collapsing empire head on, uh, the consuming fire mm-hmm. and the last emperor, which were the four books that I wrote during the, you know, basically Three. during the Trump years. You, you just know, lost track. Uh, Did you, wait, wait, I, I missed one in there. Cause you, you covered the whole, um, the, the, the whole trilogy, but I missed the fourth book in that. That's uh, head on, which was head on. The, okay. Yeah. 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 So those four books I wrote during the Trump years and all of them were late um, to yeah. one degree out uh, to one degree and another. One of them, I was so far behind that I ended up writing it in two weeks, which I absolutely do not recommend for no. anyone at any time. Uh, and I was able to pull that off basically from muscle memory. And I was also lucky that I have a publisher who is like, yes, we will absolutely you know, help you take up the slack on the back end, but they shouldn't have had to do that. And I shouldn't have put them in that position uh, to do it. Um, <laughs> and over and over again, it was just sort of like, I, I need to get better. But then I had to, again, you know, things going on in the world just made it that much more difficult. And my yeah. problem, aside from everybody else, is that I started out as a writer, writing opinion columns, writing uh, commentary, Right. So right, right. part of part of my writer DNA is looking at news and forming opinions about it. I still do that with the blog where I've been writing for 23 years about whatever I felt like writing about, which was often usually about politics. So it was very yeah. difficult. Yeah. So it was very <laughs> difficult for me not to write about that stuff or not to be right thinking about it and not to be looking at it. And that, you know, and, and again, yeah. like I said, if I looked at it too early in the morning, I was done for the day because like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with all of those feels. Uh, so yeah. And, um, I, I think it was interesting. A, a major distraction for at least some of it, which might've been a welcome distraction was, uh, you know, we were, uh, at least, um, uh, adjacent to, or, uh, sometimes directly involved with the protests around the formerly standing, formerly standing monument to our Confederate heroes in downtown. Oh, bless. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, that, that was certainly a, a, a bit of a, dist- it was a welcome distraction for a large portion of it because it was something to do that wasn't just, you know, oh, look, there, they, you know, there, there was an empowerment there. Um, right. And it was nice to be out there at 11 o'clock at night when they were taking the damn thing down, singing, um, um, hey, 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 goodbye. Um, right. <laughs> um yeah no you take your victories where you can and you oh, yeah. do the things one of the th- and one of the ways that i learned to cope and sort of uh you know uh help get myself back around is um you know i donated a whole lot of money um <laughs> over the last four and a half years and i will continue to do so oh, even yeah. with the change of administration but uh but it was one of those things it's like you know what can i what can i do uh, to sort of uh, counteract not the feeling of helplessness per se, but the you know the idea that I should be engaged 
and I ought to be engaged. But at the same time, I have this ridiculously long book contract. As you know, I've got a 15 book contract with Tor. Um, And I actually do have to, uh, you know, uh, on a regular basis, go actually go out and, um, you know, write books. I can't just not write books. I I have promised for the next decade to write a, write a book about once a year. So how can I both, uh, you know, allow myself to focus, but also feel like I'm doing something. And as it turns out, money is something. Um, and that really actually quite helped quite a lot. I, 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 I can't think of a single organization that, um, especially in any nonprofit space that, um, isn't grateful for a donation. Um, yeah, they are, you know, they, aside from being, you know, understaffed or whatever, they are always underfunded. And right. part of that's how we set up, how those organizations are set up to be, you know, tax exempt or whatever here in the U S but right. uh, also it's very expensive to do a lot of that stuff. Um, not just from a, you need to pay your people, but also from a, there's legal stuff that needs to be done. There's, you know, there's money involved in running the comp- running the business or the nonprofit, right. the base and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And that's, and I, I mean, having run a nonprofit myself, I was president of CIFLA for a while. Yeah. Um, I absolutely, I absolutely understand that because, you know, it's like we were a volunteer organization. So that was one level of funding that we didn't have to worry about, but we did, you know, we have the CIFWA legal fund. We had the CIFWA mm-hmm. uh, medical fund. We had all the programs that we did. We had the Nebula Week and all this sort of stuff. We, and so, yes, there was always the question of, you know, where's the money coming from and how we do it. Now, we had dues because we were a service organization as opposed to, you know, an advocacy organization, directly right. speaking. But, um, but as far as it goes, um, absolutely, it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I can't really donate a whole lot of time, but there are other people who can, other people who can donate time and that's great. And how can I support them? And yeah. again, the answer conveniently was, well, money. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I have some, I have some money. You have some money now. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Go, yeah. go get them, go get them, tiger. All right. Now I gotta, now I gotta write another chapter. <laughs> well, that's a whole lot about how you stay organized. And that's only the first question. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, actually, that's the second question because the first question is, uh, um, can you introduce yourself and what you do? So. Right. <laughs> right. We're, so then we're 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 doing we're doing twelve minutes per question. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Um, so with all of that going on with the books, with um, external organization. And with, you know, your schedule, do you have uh, systems or habits that are particularly useful in all of that? Um, I find that um, one thing that's that's really useful is the thing of just basically shutting down the rest of the world um, in order in order to focus. When I was younger, Mm -hmm. I did not have this. I did not have this problem problem at all i used to work in a newsroom where of course there's chaos all the time oh yeah uh, as people as people were filing stories and talking on the phone and doing all that sort of stuff but as i've gotten older uh and as i've gotten used to basically having my own writing space and stuff like that i find that uh distraction is not uh, a great thing for me and the problem is of course the same 
uh, same instrument that I use to create is the same instrument that I use <laughs> to bring distraction into my, you know, into my environment. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, there is, there's always, you know, there's always Twitter, there's always Facebook, there's always YouTube where you can watch all those informational videos that will tell you about, you know, 17 reasons why Liechtenstein is the, the most interesting European country, you know, the, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, this was another thing where I continued to, you know, be like for years and years, like, oh, I can manage this, I can handle this. And it turns out again, um, that as I've gone along and particularly in the last several years that I can't. So the thing that I've ended up having to do um, is uh, put nanny software on my computer. Okay. Um, so that I have this app that's called Freedom App, and there are other versions of this as well. Uh, that uh, basically what it does is, again, during my writing time, it just blocks the internet, right? It mm-hmm. allows me access. It allows me access to Wikipedia, which I will occasionally need to look up some sort of thing uh, and a few other informational sites, but all the social media sites, most of the news sites and everything else that is that I use to be like, I can't think of what I should write for this next sentence. Time to check my mail, you know, right. that sort of thing. Um, it just blocks it. And, uh, and when that happens, I get annoyed as, you know, annoyed yeah. as fuck because I'm like, how could you not let me access Twitter? The world needs to know my, you know, 280 character nugget of, of Rhinus, you know, but, uh, but then realizing that, you know, complaining about it's still not going to actually get things done. I then get back to work. Um, so that is one, that is one thing that I, that I have absolutely learned to do is recognize that I'm powerless over distraction and therefore need to, again, um, have something from the outside, uh, impose, uh, you know, uh, impose its will on me so when I, I can get it done. And, and like I said, this is a thing where um, it's actually mechanical. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it's an app. The app doesn't judge me. The app's not coming in to the room going, why are you looking at Twitter? What are you doing? Um, right. And, uh, and that makes, and like I said, that makes a, that makes a huge difference as well. So, but in a larger sense, the idea of slowly, surely, but, you know, uh, relentlessly peeling away all the things around me that will distract me um, has really been key. Like I said, because one, as I get older, I find myself more distractible. Um, yeah. And then also, as I get older and my brain, my brain becomes somewhat less plastic, I also find that basically the creative window for the day on a, on an average day, uh, tends to get smaller and smaller. Like four hours is, you know, like I said, eight to 12, that four hour stage is pretty much all my brain can do for creativity these days. It's sort of like after that, it's like, and you're done. Your brain is now a flan, right? You can't, you can't, you can't think anymore. So you might as well, you know, you might as well be on Twitter because you're not going to, you know, or answer email or do something else because the creative shit that you want to do, your brain, you know, I have to, I have to recharge. And of course yeah. I remember when I was like, you know, uh, when I was in my twenties and thirties, I'd be like, Oh, I can, I can write six chapters today. Um, <laughs> and that won't be a problem. Uh, but, uh, now if I do that, then I absolutely need, um, to take two or three days off just 
letting my brain sit there and go because it's just not it's not there anymore realizing again that you have to you have to actually compensate for the fact that you are a human being and your uh computational meat gets tired um has been a has been a a a real big thing i i miss the days when in my 20s and we're about the same age right um right where I could, where I could like say, okay, it's you know, it's noon on Sunday. I've gotten up. I think I'm going to work on a piece of code for fun, and then I would enter a fugue state. It feels like for about eight hours, nine hours, and right. you know, I'd come out of it with two empty beers, um, a, a dirty plate, like just hazy memories of making food, drinking um, a full ashtray because I was a smoker at the time, and um, sure, and code that compiled. Um, now right. I, I couldn't explain that code to you, but it compiled and it worked. So I was like, okay, fine. And now if I even right. try to do that, it's just like, I'm done. Like, right. you know, three and a half, four hours and I'm, I'm going to need to go lie down for a bit. Right now. And, but the thing that's really important to note here for the youngins who are listening, um, <laughs> is that there is that there are compensations for that. I mean, you know, when you're young, you can you can burn a lot of time just doing whatever shit you want to do and whatever. But as you get older and you, again, systematize, um, what it ends up doing is that you find that you can do a similar amount of work in the time that you have organized to do it. And then you don't feel like your brain is a complete mush because you basically not only have a lot of time to get it done, uh, but also you get your body used to, like my body gets mm-hmm. used to when I'm writing a novel or whatever, right. the, the point that between eight and 12, that's my, that's my thinking and creative time. My brain wakes up wanting to get to the creativity and stuff. And when I get there and I write on a good day, I can do the same amount of work that I did when I was, you know, 21, 22, I can write 2000 words a day, which is my standard, you know, yeah. Uh, when I'm going, I, that's what I do sort of thing. And I can do it in that period instead of, you know, just whatever else uh, that I used to do when I was younger. It all works out in the end. I, I get the same amount of work done, more or less in the same amount of time that I did. it. I just do it in a much more organized way. And part right. of me was like, I, if, I, if I had been this organized when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would have 200 books done, which is a lie. That's not exactly how one's brain works. Right. But it feels like it, but it feels like it should be true. Right. Um, but, uh, like I said, when you're young, you get to, you have the benefit of youth. When you get older, um, you get the benefit of wisdom and understanding of what you are as a human being and how to make that being human work for you to get the things done you need to do. Yeah. You can always increase your wisdom score. Uh, your intelligence score, maybe not. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Cool. Uh, any any other like power tools or, or habits or, or systems in there? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the thing is, is my my system is generally all been straightforward, which is like just sit down and write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's you know, uh, and that's pretty uncomplicated. Uh, I mean, aside from peeling away the distractions, pretty much the thing of just sitting down writing on a regular basis for me has been the thing. And that's why, um, you know, when I was younger, I would write, uh, on a, you know, pretty much every day, um, yeah. simply because, you know, I would, but I do find that 
writing every day exercises um, those muscles. Now, I used to tell people all the time, it's like, well, you should write every day. And it turns out that that's not, not necessarily really good advice. There are some people who really can't write every day. <laughs> yeah. Not only, not, not only because maybe their life, uh, you know, doesn't allow it in terms of work and children and whatever, um, but also just because that's not what their, that's not how their brain uh, sorts things. But what I do think is important. So instead of telling people now write every day, um, I say write regularly, mm-hmm. write in a, write in a way that your body not only your brain, but your body understands that now is writing time, right? right? Now is the time where I sit down and I do the, the functions. Now I sit down and I do the writing and stuff like that. And it doesn't have to be every day, but it should be enough that your body gets used to it. The other thing that I also recommend that people do, mm-hmm. um, which super helps me quite a lot, is uh, when I'm stuck or I don't know what I'm uh, you know, going to do next in a story or something like that, um, I take a shower, right? Okay. Um, and, and it's not because I need to be clean, although I do need to be clean. This whole thing recently about all the celebrities going like, eh, we wash every 17 days. What's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, is really sort of disturbing to me. Uh, yeah, we're all uh, downwind of you. We, we don't want that. It's, yeah. Right, exactly. Or we wash them when they look dirty. It's like, no, that's not actually how bacteria work. Come on, no. work with us here. Um, <laughs> but um, but here's the thing is the, what showers do for me is that I'm standing in the shower uh, and I'm standing there and water's running over me and I'm not doing anything else. I'm not looking at a screen. I'm not talking to somebody. I'm not doing anything else except just standing there letting water hit me. And because my body is physically engaged in standing there taking a shower, but my brain is not, my brain just wanders right? It has the freedom in the shower not to be tasked at anything. And so when it's not tasked, it wanders. And wandering is where my brain and I think the brains of a lot of people um, actually do quite a lot of problem solving because you're just sitting there just sort of free form, whatever, right? Um, And for other people, so for me, it's a shower. For other people, it's take a drive, go wash dishes, you know, go for a walk. Do something that where your body is physically engaged, but your mind is not, uh, you know, set with any specific task. Don't be listening to, you know, NPR or an audiobook while you're doing that because that's engaging your brain. Just let it float. And even if you're not actively thinking about something, uh, some portion of your brain is going to be uh, back there problem solving. And then that's where I find. Like if I've got a plot hole or I've written myself into a corner, I'll go take in the shower and my brain will be like, you know, you could do this. And sometimes my brain is just, I, I will, I'll ask my brain, are you high? Uh, because <laughs> whatever the solution that they, it has just come up with is completely wrong, but at least it's offering some things and I can, I can work off of that. But it is kind of a low pressure way to let your brain just do the thing that it needs to do. Uh, and sort of be freeform creative without the pressure of I'm sitting here in front of a computer screen. I have 500 words that I need to finish in the next two hours. Go, 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 go. And your brain's sitting there going, uh, 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 oh, you're making me nervous, dude. Stop. Go take a shower. Or, or do something to, to disengage that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. For me, for me, like I said, it's, it's a shower. 
Uh, and it's good that I live in an air part of the country where we are not worried about, you know, water shortages. If you're in Arizona right now or Nevada, maybe don't take a long shower. Maybe not. But find no. some, right. But find something else to, to do that does the thing where, as we said, you know, your, your body is physically engaged, um, and, but, but your brain is free to wander. You know, it's a good time to get exercise. It's like, oh, go on the treadmill. Do, 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 do. Or uh, in uh, when the when the weather permits, and since it has you know been like ninety degrees or more Fahrenheit and ninety percent humidity or more for the last several weeks, um, it hasn't really been that feasible. But like Ursula would go out and walk in her garden and weed. Right. Right. It, yeah, it's we, not not a conscious thing because she's just like, oh, that's a weed. It needs to go. And right. she would come back and be recharged. Yeah. 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 And that's the whole thing. Well, and that's the whole point is one of the things that I do think creative people do a lot um, is. And again, this goes back to not actually engaging with the fact that you are a physical animal made out of meat and meat mm -hmm. needs to be meat, meat needs to rest and your body needs to rest and your brain needs to rest. Right. Um, because we are all super creative people and we've all been precocious and we were all the kids who in fifth grade, people are like, he's so talented. He's so talented. Um, we are used to being the idea of like, we can do anything. Um, and we don't tend to think about the physical limitations of what it is uh, that our bodies want or need. Now, yep. again, one of the great wisdom of age is your body ends up telling you what it needs, whether you, you want it or not, because I'm 52 and my 52-year-old body is like, you want to do what now? Excuse me? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, 52-year-old body, I totally get where you're coming from. I, uh, I need, to, need to compensate. But, you know, but again, that's the, you know, that is a really important thing of actually letting your body let rest, actually doing something different, actually making sure you are taking care of you know, the meat vehicle that, run, you know, that uh, yeah. your brain is yes. contained in. Because uh, if you don't do that, and of course, also the brain itself, the brain is a temperamental creature as well. Uh, if you don't do that, then you can't do the work. And again, this is something that I think with creative people comes late, uh, if at all, um, that you do actually, you actually do have to do the maintenance. Yes. Um, I, I, had my, I had my quarterly checkup, blood draw, <laughs> I think my doctor's secretly a vampire, I'm kidding. Um, yesterday so yeah no that and as you get older you have to pay it's like having an older car you have to pay better attention to the oil levels or your cholesterol levels or which i guess are oil levels um Pretty you much. know and making sure you have the right food and and i mean you know fuel and that sort of thing and you again that's like when i was in my 20s everybody i think in their 20s had a of some sort for a car and uh, uh -huh. i was the worst at changing oil yeah. Now, you know, it was a big Detroit monster made of steel and whatever. And, and so it was like, okay, I'm low on oil. Can you make it difficult for me? Um, but still, like, you know, as it got older, it became more temperamental about that sort of thing. And sure. as I've gotten older, yeah, my body's gotten more temperamental about that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, and I resent it 100%, right? I resent that my body now makes me pay attention to it. You know what I mean? 
because there for many many years I didn't have to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, and then all of a sudden it just does weird shit. Like like three years ago, I got a frozen shoulder, right? Oh, uh, do you know what a frozen yeah. shoulder is? Yeah. Okay. For those of for those of you who don't, what it means is like all of a sudden, for no literally for no reason other than your body just decides it's time for that, uh, you suddenly can't raise your uh, arm. Uh, you know, above your shoulder, right? It's just mm-hmm. why nobody, nobody knows. And then all of a sudden I couldn't do that. It was only my left one as opposed to both of them. So it was, you know, I could compensate for it, but it was just all of a sudden weird. And I'm like, body, why are you doing this? And the body was like, I can't tell you. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm just doing it. And now you have to deal with it. You should have maybe done something some other time where you were paying attention to this shoulder but now you're going to be paying attention to it. And it took me a year, you know, and steroid yeah. shots and everything else to, to, to deal with it. And I was like, I was like, this is bodily betrayal. And it only <laughs> goes downhill from here. Like I could handle going bald, right? That's just a thing. But, you yeah. know, not being able to lift your arm above your shoulder, that's just evil. I, I, the one that gets me is I can... I can help Ursula in the garden. Like I can pick up the cinder blocks and carry, you know, two at a time into the back, or I can, you know, the 50 pound bag of uh, fermented cow manure, whatever over, you know, like five or six of them. And then like two days later, I'll be in the bathroom or something and I'll turn slightly to grab a towel and my back will give me that warning pain of, you know, if you don't stop that, I'm going to introduce you to the gods of pain. And I'm like, but I'm not, I'm reaching for the towel. And now, now, not right. three days right. ago. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, but I wasn't doing anything, and now you're doing this. And the, and the worst part about it is, you know, um, the frozen shoulder uh, was weird, what actually impacted how I could write. Because, right. you know, it's like, because my arm is attached to my hand, and my hand is the thing that types. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know how you sit, how you do things. I had to adjust what I was doing physically in order to actually do the the writing thing and again that whole tie-in to pay attention to you have to pay attention to your body because if you don't pay attention to your body you can't do the writing or you can't do the painting or you can't do whatever creative thing uh becomes much more explicit uh the older you get if i don't yep. get enough sleep if i don't get enough sleep now my entire day is like my brain is tapioca i can't i can't function so i need to get my sleep and i I, you know, hate that, you know, when I was, you know, in my 20s, I could like, you know, write from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. and be like and then get three hours of sleep and then be ready to go. And now my body's like, no, you need at least seven hours. If you get less than seven hours, you're worthless. But if you get more than eight hours and 30 minutes, you're also (laughs) brain pudding. And I'm like, why is this? Why is there this just this window? And the answer is it just is. Yeah, I, I will still, I admit, um, clinging to my youth, I'm sure, in some way, shape, or another, I have no problems driving the three hours, two and a half, three hours to Charlotte to see a concert yep. and then turn around and drive home afterwards, right? Right. Um, but I always do that with the understanding that there is a period in the morning where I am going to be useless. Yeah, And absolutely. whether I have to work the next day or whatever, you know, I, I kind of build that into the idea that, yeah, no, I, I accept that. I am punishing myself and I will, you know, or 
I'm going to have a grand time, and tomorrow morning I will be accepting the punishment for it. Right, and that's that's exactly the and that's exactly the thing. It's like you, your uh, the past you got when you were younger. It's like, oh yeah, go ahead, dancing, you know, three nights straight in a row. Uh, yeah. you know, is is the thing, or it's like stay up until five. You know, the thing, a perfect day for me is like if I'm is like I'm in bed at like nine thirty, and I am loving it, and I'm just like <laughs> and and. And 25-year-old John Scalzi is like, who are you, man? I remember when you were cool. And it's like, you know what's cool? Sleep. Sleep yeah. is awesome. You lied to me, 20-year-old Scalzi. You thought, you said that sleep wasn't important. Sleep is delicious. I could have been having naps all my life. Ah. And you denied me. 20-year-old yeah. Scalzi was a bastard. I 20-year-old Kevin wasn't much better. I know. Right, um, right. Yeah, although, you know, 50-year-old Kevin sometimes isn't very smart and was like, well, I I probably could have used more sleep, so now we're going to load up on coffee and see if we can find that line between actually functional and productive or can't hold my hand still enough to type. Um, right. Now, yeah. I mean, I yeah, and I, I'm 100% with you there. It's like I can't pretend that 50-year-old me um, is stocked up, unfortunately, with the, you know, the physical wisdom of ages because 20-year-old or 52-year-old me, uh, lunch today was caramel popcorn and a brownie, right? So that's not smart. That's not, that's not, he should have had a salad. But, but on the other hand, the brownies were there. And so was the caramel corn. So And so was the caramel corn. Yeah, yeah. And I am, right. I, I, I was going to say, I am, I have been very open about the fact that, you know, I got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Now it's been, I guess, 11 years, something like that. Yeah. And so uh -huh. I would love to be having the caramel corn and brownie lunch again. I miss the caramel right. corn and brownie lunch. I like my toes right. better. Right? Right. Right. No, yeah, and that's that's the trade-off. For me, um, at the end of 2018, um, I started doing the thing where I physically started exercising every day. And I also started doing a lot of the calorie counting uh, so that I could eat the caramel corn and the brownie, but I had to also log how many calories it was. And then I wouldn't be able to eat like, you know, the pizza later on. It's like, you know, you can choose which crap you're putting into your body, but there's only so much that you can do. And it made yeah. a difference. But again, it's the thing of you can do what you want, but remember, these are the, these are the ways that you will have to compensate for it. You know, you'll have to calorie count, you'll have to get your sleep or do the caffeine or whatever it is that you're doing. Ultimately, you have to pay attention now, because if you don't, you can't get your creative stuff done. Right, right. Or you can't, you know, function appropriately in the meeting you have first thing, or, you know, that piece of code right. that you were supposed to write today won't get, won't get done until tomorrow, right? Yeah. Right. There's, there's, always, there's always, always a cost. And that, and that's the thing is like when you were younger, uh, the cost was the cost was uh, covered by being young, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. yeah, no, here here are your points. You have all these points, and then as you get older, the points subtract further and further and further and further. I mean, I'm I, I'm always stunned. There are like really productive seventy year olds out there. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. You know, I, yeah. I imagine I'm going to hit seventy, and I'll be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm 70. It's time to start eating sticks of butter. I am, yeah, I'm 
that actually sticks of butter sound pretty good at 70. Um, I, right. I'm reminded right. of, of Ursula's stepdad, who was always, when he was younger, when he was younger, he mm-hmm. was always like, I don't know how people can wake and bake. Right. And, and he was right. like well known for imbibing throughout his entire life. Right. Um, but when I first met him at 70, like I saw him get up, go out of the house and light one up and be like, do i'm 70 like okay yeah (laughs) yeah he's like i have totally i have totally gotten to the point where everything else is gravy i've gotten to my three score and ten as promised me in you know uh in the in the bible everything else from this point is you know as i say i say to chrissy it's like i'm taking care of my body now because there are things i want to do and things that i need to do i gotta warn you when i hit 70 i may just go full santa Right. Right. Yeah. That's how, yeah. That's how I describe it. Full Santa. I'm just like, fuck it. Fuck it all. <laughs> I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to eat as much of it as I want. What am I going to do? I'm 70. Yeah. I've got a prostate the size of a melon. Whatever. Come here, grandkid. Pull my finger. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Back in my day, I was beautiful once, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of went sideways, but that was that was an amazing. That was amazing in all of the. Yeah, I the, the I, I, yeah. I I don't know what you were expecting when you had me talk, but I I am the master of. And now we're going way off course here. So I, have, I, so apologize. I, I have no, it's fine. I have a regular guest, um, uh, my friend Dino. He showed about once a year, and I swear to you, we cannot do a chat that doesn't have to be broken into two episodes because it's at minimum three hours long. Right. Right. So right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. And I think we can okay, good. skip, skip the question about how do you decide what to do first? You already told me like twice. <laughs> okay. Um, so we can go straight to the fun questions. Okay. The fun question, the fun questions. Yes. Um, and the first of which is, and you've already, given us wisdom, so much wisdom, um, but what <laughs> is the best advice you have been given or would give somebody else? It can be and would give somebody else. Um, I would say the best advice I would give somebody else um, is that none of this is a zero-sum game um, because... I think that there is uh, there is kind of a feeling, particularly in with creative people. So you have mm-hmm. a peer group, right? And you have yep. the people that you come up with and that are doing things when you started and they're starting out as well. And it's all really cool and stuff like that. Um, and some of them are doing really well and some of them are doing less well. And some, you know, but everybody is kind of doing their thing. And there's kind of two ways that you can look at that. What one, The first is, isn't it cool? These people I know are doing all these cool things, and I get to know them, and we get to, you know, kind of do our thing together and go through the world together, right? right. And the other right. way of looking at it is there's only so much success in the world, and every time somebody I know gets that award nomination when I don't or gets that contract when I don't or whatever, um, taking away from me and it makes them less likely that I will ever do that. And then I have to find a way to 
you know, uh, make them suffer or, you know, or find some way to rationalize what I'm doing and so on and so forth. Right, right. The first way of doing the first way of doing it is looking at, you know, the looking at it all as a community and, you know, celebrating your peers and being happy for their success, you know, being part of that whole thing is great because you get to experience a slice of time uh, that nobody else does that many years later, people will be like, tell us again what it was like to be growing, you know, to be going up at the same time as Paolo Bacadilupi and Nora Jemison and Ursula Vernon. Those people are so cool. <laughs> they're like, they're like the people that I idolize and you knew them. How awesome is that? And you can be like, well, there was this one time we were all at Worldcon, and then suddenly John Mieville showed up, and he was in sequins, and it was right, you know. And yeah, you get yeah. to be that person. Or and, the other thing is, or yeah. the other way to do it is be like, well, you know, what the hell, uh, Scalzi? You know, he's not actually that good. He just got lucky. You know, the way that he was successful, the way Scalzi was successful, is he kissed a lot of tour butt. I mean, there was like a list that they presented to him. They said, if you want to sell books, here are the butts that you have to kiss. And you have to kiss them in sequence in order to be successful. And he just puckered himself up. And that's how he did it. He does not deserve that success. He was just a pucker boy, right? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Given, given right? that I, I, I can put together based on my knowledge of the last several years of sci-fi fandom slash writer slash award and i'm putting this in air quotes drama and i know exactly who you're talking about i think i'd rather be the first person right and i'm right, not going to say right. yeah if, if you want to know names at home you go you, you can go look it up or you can find me somewhere else but i'm not going to put that on the actual episode because i don't want to actually attract their direct attention <laughs> right well not only that not only that yeah. but that that but that portrayal was a was a uh composite of yeah. uh various people and it's not just the you know the science fiction drama that has happened i mean in whatever field oh, that yeah. you're in there's always going to be there's always going to be the peers who are also haters right who look at your success and go that's costing me right, right. um and and the thing is, is that it's just a really shitty way to live. Not only is it just means you're an asshole uh, and that nobody actually wants to hang around with you and be with you, um, but it also takes a psychic toll on you. Like yeah. you always have to, every single relationship you have in your creative field, suddenly transactional. What can I get out of them? What are they getting out of me? How can I manipulate this so that I come out ahead? Instead of just, you know, liking people and like cool you you know you got a book contract you're buying the next round that sort of thing you yeah, know it's yeah. so much nicer it's so much nicer when you <laughs> genuinely like when you genuinely like the people that who are your peers and that you're genuinely happy for them and so that when things happen for you um that they you know that they will be happy for you as well and if things never happen for you, it doesn't matter because you are still friends and you get to spend time with these oh, yeah. cool people, right? And it's really hard um, to tell young people that, or new writers and new mm -hmm. creative people that, 
because there is always a sense of, you know, there's always a sense of that you have to be propelled at a certain time in a certain way uh, and that there are certain metrics that you absolutely have to hit. I mean, I remember being 20, hitting 25, the age of 25, and having some part of my brain going, you hit 25 and you didn't write the great American novel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is yeah. totally unfair to, you know, put on any 25-year-old, least of all me. I certainly did not have the life experience to write the great American novel at 25, but very few 25-year-olds do. There might right. be an occasional one who just, who can uh, bat it out, but, you know, that wasn't me and that wasn't, and that's not the vast majority of people. But there was always that expectation that you have to be, you have to be a prodigy. You have to hit certain mm -hmm. metrics at certain times. Um, and making the point to people that you don't um, is, uh, is sometimes hard, you know, because they don't necessarily believe you. And I totally get that because when I was 25, I wouldn't have believed it either. It's the, again, the, you know, hopefully the hopeful wisdom of the ages as opposed to, uh, you know, versus, you know, the ambition of, of youth sort of thing. Just the yeah. fact that you can tell people, it's like, you know, it's okay if you don't hit until you're 30 or 35 or 40, or if you, you know, make a splash when you're 20 and then disappear for 20 years and show up again at 40. The current person that I love pointing people at yeah. is Martha Wells. You know, Martha. Oh. I, I, I've, I've not had a chance to talk to Martha yet. I know of Martha and I've read all the Murderbot books. So yes. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so Martha, aside from being personally awesome. Okay. Mm. She has been writing and she has been basically doing her thing for two or three decades now. Right. Right. And she had, uh, and she has all of these books that were before the murder books uh, Murderbot books, and they're great books, and they're, you know, they're wonderful, and they didn't hit, you know, in the same sort of way. She was getting published, she was doing her thing, um, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was, you know, just plugging along, like you do, you plug along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the Murderbot, and the Murderbot books hit, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, holy shit, Martha Wells, right? Martha Wells, don't call it a comeback, she's been here all along, Right. Right. But, yeah. um, but, you know, but the fact is, is that Martha Wells had it happen to her, whatever, for whatever, you know, uh, values of it you want to describe uh, in her 50s after 30 years. That's the thing that I always tell people. You can't tell when this stuff is going to happen. But meanwhile, Martha has been there all the time. People liked her. People respected her. People appreciated her as a writer and as a peer and as a friend and as a person because she wasn't a shitty person who was sitting there going, you know, I see, you know, this point, you know, I see Neil Gaiman getting successful. Why him and not me? I must tear him down at all times. I, I don't believe she's ever yeah. torn anybody yeah. down. She's just plugged along and now she's reaping the benefits. Good for her. I am yeah. so thrilled that everything that is happening for her is happening for her. She deserves every moment of it. And and uh, people don't realize, I think a lot of people who are reading the books who are aspiring writers don't understand the role that sheer dumb luck has. <laughs> oh, um, and I am a 100% in agreement with that. Yeah. And I make that point to people all the time, you know, um, that when you know people are like well, how did it happen for you 
uh, and I would be like, well, I'm good at what I do. Uh, I had a story that people liked reading and I also got incredibly damn lucky. My book hit at exactly the right time for that book. If it had come out a year before, if it had come out a year after, it wouldn't have hit the same sort of way. And I wouldn't have had the career that I have. I got lucky. And people are like, well, no, 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 but you, 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 you know, but it was all this. So like, and I'm like, look, it's not that I'm not good. It's not that I don't do all the things that I'm supposed to do in my career. I do all of that. Yeah. But I am also lucky and I don't want to pretend that I, that luck did not play a huge role in the success that I had. I got lucky. And, uh, and it really annoys some people where you're like, it can't just be luck. It's like, no, but it can, it can just be luck because there are other books that came out the same day as old man's war, which is the book that sort of launched me, um, that it came out and they, mm-hmm. you know, and they had an equal chance and, you know, it didn't happen for those particular ones. There are people who, uh, are, you know, who write as well as I do or better who have not had the same level of success as I have. Ultimately, there are people who write, you know, not as well as I do, who are even more successful. Again, that's not a snarky comment. It's just more of a matter of craft and so on and so forth. But it doesn't matter because they hit a nerve and their work spoke to people. And so whether or not they write, quote, better or, quote, worse than I do, doesn't matter because their story still engaged enough people um, that it propelled them to, you know, their level of massive success. Luck yeah, plays I, a role. And if you don't, and if you don't uh, accept that that is part of the deal, um, then one, it doesn't matter because it's just a fact anyway, whether you acknowledge right, it or not. Right. And two, you're going to be unhappy because you, you, can't, uh, you can't accept a fundamental fact, right? Yeah. And, and I look yeah. at, uh, like, I, 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 when I talk to, uh, we have a, a mutual friend, Mer Lafferty. Um, oh, yeah. Who, uh, Who's um, great. Yeah, no, and I think I probably talk to way more than you do, but that's just because <laughs> Murr is like an hour away from us, and Ursula and Murr go to lunch all the time, right? But I, I right. look at, at Murr, who is a talented writer, and who has been plugging yeah. away at this for years and years, and has has done amazing work, and it just hasn't hit that break point for her yet, right? Sure, but at the but, same time... But at the same time, Murr's career is pretty enviable for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Murr, yeah. Is an, Murr is an astounding award winner, mm-hmm. uh, deservedly so. Uh, and, you know, as we, as we astounding award winners like to say, it is the, it is the genre's most exclusive award because you can only be nominated for it twice and you can only win it once. Right. Uh, and she, uh, and uh, Six Wakes. Uh, mm-hmm. oh. nominated, nominated for Best Novel for oh, yeah. Hugo, deservedly so. Um, there are any number of people who will look at her career and be like, holy shit, that is, that is the dream, right? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and deservedly so. And that, of course, goes to the whole point of also, you know, the quotidian uh, uh, aspect of the writing, uh, writing life, which is, you know, what you see as, what someone else sees as the dream uh, you know, Murr or or Ursula or I will be like, ah, well, this is Tuesday, right? Yeah, right, um, right. And also, and also the idea that you can be you can be nominated uh, or be a finalist for the Hugo and win awards and do all this sort of stuff 
and still have to, you know, worry about, are you going to get that next contract? Are you going to, you know, be able to get that uh, next book published? What happens if the next book flops or anything like that? All the measurements <laughs> of success that you, that you can think of don't change the fact that you still actually have to do the work. You never yeah. get to the point where it is just like, well, I have leveled up to the point where I, I can just coast and nothing, I have to do nothing else. There's maybe like two or three people who have ever been able to do that in the history of, you know, writing. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, um, and the, the Tom Clancy farm of ghostwriters. Yeah. Not yeah, Well, yeah, the Tom Clancy farm or just the, the one book that you, and you're like, well, now I'm done. And, right. uh, you know, and which is happens so, so very rarely. And yeah. there, there's a book I'm thinking of that, of course, you know, and it's one of the most famous books in the world. And now I can't even think of its title because I'm actively trying to think about it. Well, yeah, that's um, how it works. It's the one that takes place in the South with the lawyer, Atticus Finch. To there kill you a go. Mockingbird. Okay. Yes. There you go. One and done. Well done her, right? Right. But she, but she was the only one who got to be one and done. Everybody else has to keep putting the stuff out, right? And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and that's just the nature of the business. And there's, there is, I, I was, um, I had been talking to a, uh, a friend who had been a journalist, um, was still a journalist at the time. This was, oh, 20 years ago, maybe. And it, it was much more of a, it's not that I'll ever stop writing. It's just that I'll probably stop getting paid. Right. Right. Like, well, that, and that's, that's absolutely, you know, a thing that we, that, you know, I think about, I mean, I tell Chrissy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like one day people will not want to pay me as much as they do for my books. So let's save our money now. Uh, because, because there's a, you know, the thing is, is, and this is the thing that people don't also don't realize that, you know, uh, you know, to quote again, the Bible for everything, there is a season, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. every career, every career has an arc. There are very few people, uh, who in their career, no matter what their creative, uh, life or whatever their job is, just goes from success to success, to success, to success. Eventually you plateau. Eventually you start the gentle downslope or not so gentle downslope, depending um, and you stop being the hot new thing. Like 2005, uh, Old Man's War uh, yep. comes out, right? Um, and then, you know, and people are like, holy shit, New Highland, cool, whatever, you know? And then the next year I get the uh, Astounding Award, then known as the Campbell Award nomination and the Best Novel uh, nomination for Old Man's War. And all of a sudden I am, who the hell is John Scalzi? And yeah, I was yeah. the hot new thing. And I got to spend several years as the hot new thing. And then I became president of CIFWA. And then I literally became the establishment, right? <laughs> I was no longer. Right? Yeah, any, yeah. I was no longer anywhere close to, to the hot new thing. And now, you know, it is 16 years on from Old Man's War coming out. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are fucking writers who are like, come up to me and they're like, I love your stuff. I read it when I was a teenager. You have inspired me to become a writer myself. And I'm like, no one is that young. What are you talking about? Like, cause I, cause, cause I don't remember old man's war being that long ago, but 16 years is long enough time that I am 
actually somebody's influence, and I cannot process that shit. Ursula has this thing, and it happens to us, I think, about at least twice a year, where someone will come up and be all excited because it's Ursula Vernon, author of the Breath books, and they loved those books when they were younger, and which, and you know, the appropriate age range on those is, is basically 8 to 12. Uh, right. Then it's like, can I take you to the bar and buy you a drink? And both of us now start to, to feel our bones creak a little bit more every time that happens. It's like, and um, then I turn to dust. But yeah, that's exactly, but that's exactly right. You know, and the thing about it is, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody no. should have the, op- everyone should have the opportunity to be at, at every stage. You should be able to feel at one point you were the hot young thing. You should feel like, you know, at one point you were the journeyman or journey person author who was, you know, doing their thing and plugging along. It would be great if everybody felt like it's like now I'm at the top of the game sort of thing. But eventually you also have to recognize and this came up recently mm-hmm. uh, with me where someone was talking about the idea, somebody being salty. I was like, you know, right. Scalzi will never be, will be, never win another Hugo, right? Um, and, and my response to that is, I mean, I have three. How many more do you want me to have, right? So that's right. the beginning. But the other thing is, is like, and if I don't win another Hugo, okay, so what? Do you, do you know what the difference between me winning a, like I'm nominated for, or I'm a final three Hugo this year. Yeah. Um, if I, if I win, uh, I am Hugo winner, John Scalzi. And if I lose, which I probably will, uh, what am I? Hugo winner, John Scalzi, right? Uh, right. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is a, this is not a, a huge concern. But the other thing is I have been to that particular professional mountaintop. Right. I got to stand up there. I got to look around. I'm like, this shit is cool. You can, you can see everything from up here. And yeah. now the question yeah. is, now the question is, do you try to push everybody else off the top of the mountain or do you go, come up? The view mm-hmm. is awesome. And I would rather be the person who is like, you know, it's like if, if I never win another Hugo, it just means other people are winning the Hugo and they get that experience of having that awesome view and being the standard bearer for a year uh, for, uh, for science fiction, right? Let, yeah. you know, and of course, people argue about whether or not it's deserved, blah, 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 blah. It's not all you know, a bundle of roses, but it's still awesome. Why wouldn't I want other people to have that same experience? I've already had it. It was great. Let's move on. And that's the whole thing is to recognize that the, that curve is there. But the curve also means that sooner or later, people may stop buying my books as much, or I will put out books and people are like, Oh yeah, you know, that was good. It's not as great as what he used to write in his heyday, but it's okay. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to accept that that is part of, you know, that is part of the actual arc of the career uh, of the career too. Now you might be lucky and escape that, but you probably won't. And if you can't inculcate in your brain, that that is just going to be part of the process. Again, you're going to be unhappy. I'm very happy that I've had those <laughs> moments and that I get to have those moments and all that sort of stuff. And that for at least another eight books, Tor is obliged to make a big deal out of me, right? But one day, yeah. you know, that moment, that moment may be gone and I'll be like, and, and I can either be like, no, I used to be beautiful to go back to that. Um, or I can be like, well, okay. You know, yeah. it was good. Time to, time to move on. And, and, you know, having, having just helped Ursula through, um, she hit the point in, in her latest novel that, uh, that's, I think, due in two weeks, where it was, this book is awful, 
Um, yep. They that the editors are going to hate it, and yep. despite the fact that I have a four book contract with this particular publisher, this is I will never be I will never write or publish another book as long as I live. This one is that bad. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and and yep. and. Yeah. So, I mean, her plan was that she was going to take the month of August and finish that book and write a whole other book to give them when that one was a flop. And um, <laughs> I talked her down from that. I did talk her down. Just, yeah. Uh, I want. I want to. I want to remind you. Uh, so, 2012. Yep. Um, the the Hugos, mm-hmm. because I was the the MC for that, and I remember uh, Ursula's uh, acceptance speech where she was talking about the fact that she suddenly worried that she was going to die before she could finish yep. uh, the, the series that she was writing. So yeah. she just kind of went into the she, where you were taking a shower and it's like, look, you need to know what happens just in case. And you're like yeah. standing there in the shower going, OK, so yeah. this is this is not this is not new. Right. 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 No, this is this is not new. Although this this one wasn't at least this one wasn't I'm going to fall asleep at the wheel crossing the lake and fall in the lake and drown. And then, you know, the story will never get finished. This is this is much more of a um, I will finish this book and everyone will hate it. Uh, but, right, still, right, right. you know, I, I did still have to read the manuscript and look at it. And I believe she, the exact moment she knew it was good was when my face made that change. And she knew exactly yeah. what what point I'd hit in the book that is an image I can never get out of my head. Yeah. And um, yep. And she's like, "Okay, this one's fine." Yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 useful to have a spouse who reads your stuff because I yeah. very much similarly uh, with the last Impro, um, there was a particular uh, moment where because Chrissy reads uh, my spouse Chrissy reads all the chapters hot off the press, so to speak. Yeah, so I'm yeah. upstairs. Uh, I give her. I give her a chapter. I'm upstairs, and uh, all of a sudden, from downstairs up the stairwell, I hear, "You fucking did what?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, yep, that yep. that works yep. exactly the way that I wanted to." I think. I think writers and I think creative people always have the have that point where they're like, "What the what the fuck is going on? Whoever thought that this was." a good idea, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, but I think we, I think we all deal with it differently. I mean, one of the things that I'm aware of that a lot of people have that I don't, um, and there's a long, probably its own episode of talking about why I don't, um, is the <laughs> idea of imposter syndrome, right? Like right. Almost everybody right. I know has it. I, I don't, I mean, I, I very strongly believe that this is this shit I was wired for, I know how to do it. I know what I'm doing. But it doesn't mean that I don't get into the weeds. I'm sitting there going, why the... God damn it, John, why did you do it this way when it should have been done this way? And now we have to go back and uh, do this. You know, we have to figure this out when we wouldn't have had to figure this out if you had done it right the first time sort of thing. So my expression of it is less of, oh, God, oh, God, everybody's going to hate it. I don't know what. Um, and it's more of an exasperation of myself is why are you making more work for me? Who is also you. Right. 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 Um, uh, but we all, but we definitely all get that. I mean, I think it's, uh, Neil Gaiman quoting Gene Wolfe says, you know, uh, the thing about writing a novel is that it teaches you how to write that novel. Every yeah. time you start, you, you, you start over again. And it's, 
you know, and it is one of those things that can be um, absolutely frustrating. And it can be one of those things where, again, um, there may be circumstances where, like, I don't doubt that I know how to write novels. I've written 15 of them. Something like that. Yeah. 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 But in 2020, um, because I couldn't concentrate and because the world was on fire and for various other things, there was a novel that I was writing that I literally just, I couldn't finish it. I wrote tens of thousands of words on it, arranged in sentences and paragraphs and chapters. um, And it just didn't cohere. Right. The, my, my novel writing muscle wasn't working. And I was like, and I didn't freak out like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, I will never work again. Right. I was like, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because I know I can do this shit. (laughs) Yeah. I've got, you know, I've, I've got concrete evidence that this is a thing I can do. What the hell is, is going on? I was like, is this ADHD? Has it finally come for me? Have I have all my coping strategies finally failed? Um, and the answer really was, no, what, what had happened was the, you know, the PTSD of four years of complete and utter bullshit, the bill finally came to to do. And, and I spent a year where I just literally couldn't focus on a long-term project. And it didn't help that the book that I was writing uh, was meant to be something that was a little bit darker, a little bit moodier, a little bit more, um, you know, sort of, that way, as opposed to most of my stuff, which is lighter and more optimistic, I picked a really bad fucking year to <laughs> to try to write a, a moody book, right? So, because, so huh. yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, so here's of, an interesting question about it. Yeah. Um, Ursula will take a book like that where she's like, this just isn't working for me. And she'll shove it in a folder and she'll just let it sit on her hard drive. Right. On her, and sometimes for years, um, it took like, Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking um, took like 10 years from the first words being written to it finally gelling enough and, and getting to where it went out early last year. Minor May, right. I think I read an early draft for that a good eight years before she finished it, right? Because it just right. wasn't gelling. So she just, she would just, she'll just set it aside. She's got a whole folder of, well, she might be running out of them by now, I don't know, but she's got a folder sure. of projects like that. That's like, Okay, this just isn't working for me right now. Maybe I'll come back to it later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not how I work. I mean, I write. <laughs> I write. I write very. I write very very sequentially. Okay. Um, yeah. I. I have. I don't have. I like literally everything that I've ever written. I have sold. I have no ah. trunk novels. I. I have no short stories. Uh, I. You know. So literally everything is like here it is. Out it goes. Now, now on to the next one. There right. have been right. in the course of writing all the novels that I've not uh, I've written. There are two now that I have abandoned. The first one was the novel that was the sequel to The Android's Dream, right? Right. Um, and the reason that I stopped writing that one was because I realized as I was writing it, this is not a spoiler because the book came out like you know 15 years ago. So if you haven't read it by this time, it's too bad for you. At the end of the book, the main character's uh, best friend is a uh, computer that basically administers an entire planet, and his girlfriend is literally the richest woman on Earth. Yeah. So, so his problems are solved. And so when I started writing the sequel, I had to basically keep finding new and exciting ways for him not to be in contact 
with either his best friend or or his partner, right? And that was okay, but it wasn't a story. It was just basically a bunch of scenarios to try to generate a plot. And I realized that basically that wasn't working and I needed to write something else that was actually interesting. So I got into like seven chapters of that and I was like, and then I sent uh, a note to Patrick, my editor. I was like, yeah. this isn't working. Would you like another Old Man's War book instead? And they were like, yes, please. Um, <laughs> so they were fine with that. And yeah. then this one, this last year, um, like I said, it just, wasn't, it just wasn't working and I couldn't make it work. Um, and like I said, tens of thousands of words. And I finally was just like, look, I can't, I can't do this. You know, every time that I, tr- every time that I approach this book, um, my body stiffens up, you know, and I get yeah, kind of in a defensive a crouch. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and I just, I literally just can't do this. Uh, and, and it's like, and I know that it's due like next week, you know, and I know that it's already on the schedule and I know that you've already commissioned art for it, but, but I can't do it, but I can't do it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that the good news is that after, you know, 15 years of them never losing money on one of my books, they were like, yeah, okay, that happened. And then I was right. free. And then like literally the next day, the, the, the book that I actually did write that was coming, that's coming out next year called uh, Kaiju Preservation Society literally just dropped into my head. Like, right. and I was like, oh shit. And I wrote it uh, in, in five weeks flat. Right. Just because I knew exactly where it was going. And that was a huge relief because it's like, oh, no, you do know how to write novels. It's just 2020. Fuck you. And you picked the wrong book to try to write. Right. Now, will I ever go novel. back to right. Yeah, that, that was not the novel that I, I meant to be needed to be writing right now. This right. one is. And the good news is like the people, everybody who's read this thing, you know, the, the Kaiju book, which will come out, like I said, March 20. Oh, I have it on pre-order. The moment you announced well, it, I had it on pre-order. Yeah. Sweet. But the, the thing <laughs> is, is like the way, the way I, what I tell people about it is like, this is the novel equivalent of a pop hit. It's like, I need to write a three minute perfect pop song. And this is it. And everybody who's read it has been like, yeah, no, that's, you did the thing that you said you were going to do. And I was like, yes, because I needed that after 2020 and writing that big depressing novel that didn't work fuck you, I'm going to write something happy. Wee! There you go. So, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, did we, was there an actual no. question in there? No, no. That was, that, that, <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, that actually really, that entire thing goes back to that interview, or that the, the original question and the advice you would give is none of this is a zero-sum game, right? Right. One thing didn't work, try the next. And that actually segues very nicely to the next question. Believe okay. it or not, um, uh, uh, I believe it because you've you've practically answered it. And the question is, how do you deal with failure or when you miss a goal? Uh, it's really interesting um, in the sense of um, the simple fact of the matter is I fail so infrequently, which is a horribly, horribly egotistical and awful thing to. Say, but let me give context to that, which is that, like, for example, um, do you know how many pieces of fiction I've ever had rejected? I honestly do not. Do you wish to guess? I okay. Now, because you you made the statement, you said I'm going to say something stupid low, like maybe 
50. Okay. Go lower. <laughs> Five. Go lower. One. Go lower. Really? Yep. Okay, so everybody uh, out there, do not stretch next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've talked about I've talked about this before. I right. I wrote before Old Man's War sold. Right. I wrote exactly one short story for publication. I wrote short stories in high school and college, right? You know, right. just to write them. Um, but the thing of oh, I should write a short story and see if I can sell it. Uh, I wrote one. Uh, and I sent it to Strange Horizons mm -hmm. uh, because they accepted simultaneous uh, or electronic submissions in 2001, which is when I submitted it, um, and they bought it. So the one story I wrote got sold to the very first people I sent it to. Then I wrote Old Man's War, and I put it up on my website, and Tor was like, can we buy that from you? Uh, you know, because I, you know, uh, and I was like, sure. And they, and they said, well, can we buy another book from you too? Because, you know, we might as well get two books from you really cheap. Uh, right. and I was like, sure. So all of a sudden I had two books that I didn't have to even submit. They were just like, we're like, okay, now you have a two book contract. Well done you. And then the one other book that I had written, which was agents of the stars, which I also had put up on my website, subterranean press came in and said, can we buy that? Mm -hmm. And I didn't approach them. And then after that, um, you know, I've always sold my novels to tour and I was just, and it would always be like, you know, once old man's word was published, they're like, we need another old man's word book. I was like, okay. And then there were another one and then another one. And they were basically, and then I, all the other books, I was like, well, I wrote this. Is that like, great? We'll take that. So I've yeah. literally never had to actually like pitch a book. Right. Uh, and then with short stories after the first one, um, I, you know, I basically made it a rule as like, uh, if you want a short story, you can ask me for one, but it's a commission, uh, which means you're asking to buy it, uh, which means it was, it's yeah. pre-sold even before I write it. Right. So I've literally never had, uh, anything fiction wise rejected. Right. Um, so failure for me is not, uh, having things rejected. Uh, right. You know, failure for me is like it happened with the, the novel where I'm writing the novel. Um, and for various reasons, I'm not able to pull off that particular thing. And again, even then, it's couched in the idea of it. I don't want to say it didn't matter that I didn't write that book because it did matter because I spent a year fucking with that book uh, to have it come to nothing, uh, which means that, you know, I'm, uh, you know, a uh, year of my life that I could have been writing something else, I was, you know, I wasted. Uh, but I wasn't worried about the failure of I will never sell another book because I have this contract, you know, mm -hmm. I have this. Uh, so I knew that I would sell another book and that tour would buy the next book whenever the next right. book came, which as, it, uh, which as it happened was five weeks later and <laughs> slotted in exactly when it was supposed to be in the first place. Um, but and so for me, the dealing with the failure is dealing with the, uh, you know, not pulling off the thing that I, that I meant to do. And I'm actually, I hated it and I was unhappy with it, but sometimes it happens. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is that you can look at it as a question of, uh, you know, a referendum on you and your talents and your abilities and so on and so forth, or you can look at it as, why did this particular thing fail? What did I, what can I learn from it? What can I bring 
to the next thing so that the next time I have a failure, because I'll inevitably have another failure, it will be yeah, a yeah. different failure and not the same failure over and over. So I'm very lucky in the sense that by most metrics, I don't, I haven't failed. And I'm, again, very aware of how weird that is and what an outlier that is. But at the same time, um, I am also aware that I am not infallible, that everything that I work always hits uh, and that, you know, my shit doesn't stink. It definitely stinks. I've got a year's worth of stink directly behind me. And, uh, you know, and I had to, and I had to learn from that. Uh, I mean, and hopefully incorporate it in what's, what, comes, uh, what comes moving forward. All, all you need to learn that your shit does think, too, is to be a parent. Straight uh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, oh shit. I mean, my, my yeah. daughter is not impressed with anything I do, you know. Right. Which is fine. She, she shouldn't be. I live with her, you know. It's the, you know, every once in a while people are like, what is it like to have Belzy as your dad? And it's like, he's a lazy bum who's around watching you know on twitter all day i would yeah. want me to tell you about it. yeah. yeah it's um, um one of one of the kids that uh, that my son my younger son went to school with is it was like i you know read ursula's ya book or not ya books but uh middle grade books as they were coming out it was like wow you get to and he's like yeah she makes me pick up my socks i don't know what to tell you right right well yeah. that's the other thing people people ask her is like what do you think of his of, of his books and she's literally read two of my books Right. Uh, she's read she's read Zoe's tale, which was right. dedicated to her. So I think that she felt obliged to read that, which right. I'm OK with. Uh, and then I made her read. Uh, I made her read um, uh, Fuzzy Nation because I wanted her basically to uh, comment on each of the chapters, basically as a critical exercise. Right. So I'm like, read right. that. Every chapter, tell me what you think about what's going on, what you think is working, what you think isn't working and so on and so forth. And don't worry that I'm your dad. Go ahead and trash it if you think the book sucks. You know, and so there were places where when she was doing this, she was like, really, what were you thinking here? This, this is your solution? You think that was wise? And I'm like, damn, girl, you savage. Yeah. No. Uh, but, but yeah, no, this is totally, totally not impressed with me. Yeah. But here's the thing about, go back to failure again. I mean, right, here's right. the thing is, is that, so I, I have not failed uh, in fiction. I have massively and indisputably failed in many other aspects of of my life and my career. Uh, I've been laid off from, uh, you know, I've been laid off from jobs. I've been fired from jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, the lucky streak I have in fiction does not uh, include nonfiction, does not include uh, going to, uh, you know, going to uh, Hollywood and pitching uh, movie and TV stuff. Um, that is nothing but one failure after another. Um, and when I was working as a journalist, as a freelance journalist, you know, almost all of my time was going to an editor and the editor was like, okay, what stories do you have got? And I'd be like, well, okay, well, here's the first story I did. No, here's the second one. No, third one. No, fourth one. No, fifth one. Uh, maybe. Okay. And then so on and so forth. Yeah, like yeah. nine things, nine things I would pitch, uh, nine, you know, eight would get shot down and the ninth one would be like, okay, let's work on this one and maybe I'll let you do that. And the great thing about dealing with failure like that, you know, as a journalist, as a freelancer, where everything, or even in Hollywood, where you're just doing the pitch, 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 is it gets you, you used to the idea that rejection and failure, you're like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's right, going to work. Right. 
it's not something you need to spend any time dwelling on. It's not a referendum on you. It's literally a referendum on what the editor or producer or whatever needs at that moment in that context right now, right? Because like when I was in, in college and I was doing uh, freelance stuff for the Chicago Sun-Times way back when, right? And there would be, I would look at the listings of which uh, bands were coming into town, right? Yeah. And I would be like, uh, I will do an interview of that band. No, I don't want to do that. How about that band? How about that? And one of them she would say yes to. And then I would call the record company of that band and be like, I'm from the Sun-Times and I've, I'm doing an interview. So have your right, you know, that, that one thing. And then whatever else that I pitched, I didn't even think about anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was, and I think that that's really useful thing for uh, people to recognize that the failure really isn't um, so often a referendum about you. It's not a referendum about um, anything else than what is the need of the person that you are uh, trying to do work with, which doesn't mean that it can't be disheartening. You know, there, there were weeks where I would pitch a whole bunch of things and nothing, and nothing would actually get sold. And then I would have to not actually make any money uh, that, that particular week. And that was, that was no fun. And if you get enough of that and if times are tough and all that sort of stuff, then it can definitely wear at you. But I never felt in the, with the rejection that again, um, that it was ever a referendum on me or my abilities or anything else like that. When things are referendums on you is because of the things that you have actually done. I mean, we live in an era now where dudes are being called on, uh, on their behavior over years and years and years and years and years. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, in, and in many ways, that's a, that is a failure of, of them. Um, that was years in the making, but it is of their own making. And that is a manifest difference than, you know, the stuff where your career, where you're pitching things like, well, here's a story idea, or here's an idea for a book. Like I pitched a, an astronomy book, uh, when I was, uh, you know, just out of when I was still working at AOL in the 1990s and nobody bit at it. And then right, I wrote right. a book on, and then I wrote a book on online finance for rough guides which was an abject failure, but I was easy to work with. So they were like, what else have you got? And I was like, uh, how about an astronomy book? And they're like, yes, absolutely do that. And then all of a sudden I got to write that astronomy book yeah, because yeah. even though I, even though that book had failed, um, the very first book I wrote, um, it didn't sell anything um, because I was easy to work with. And because I performed to spec, they were trusting me to do another book, which is another thing about failure, right? Which yeah. is that in every failure, um, I don't want to say every failure, but within a lot of failures, um, there are things that you can take away that are a positive. Like mm-hmm. I said, let's go back to that first, first book I wrote, which was a book on online finance, right? And back yeah. in, in 2000, uh, right as the internet bubble was uh, exploding and nobody wanted to talk about the internet anymore or doing finance on the internet. And the book came out um, the same week as the 2000 election on the idea that once the election was done, there would be space uh, to promote the book. And of course that election dragged on for months. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And so every possible way that that book could could have been a commercial failure, it was a commercial failure. It was absolute bonkers failure. Right. Right. But, but like I said, because 
when we, we, you know, we, I gave them a book outline that, and I said, oh, I'm going to do exactly this. And when I got my edits, I was, you know, I was easy to work with. And because I, you know, was personable in dealing with everybody that I was dealing with at the publisher, they were like, well, this book was a complete flop in every possible way for a book to flop, but it's not you. We want to work with you again. And and so that first book, even though by any objective commercial standard was a complete failure, was still a success for me because I learned, you know, because other people learned things about me and I learned about them and we were able to build something out of that. So even in failure, right, um, you can can learn. And also sometimes failure is awesome, right? I'll give you an example of this. I I was nominated (laughs) for... I was nominated for a, a Hugo uh, in 2007, right? right. Um, best best fan writer Hugo. Okay. I lost I lost that Hugo by one vote. By one yeah. vote. Yeah. That is the most awesome way to fail that you can possibly <laughs> have, right? Because it's like yes, 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 no. <laughs> and I and I somebody else won it and then I, I was like uh, you know there was a year that the, the Hugos were in Japan and um, you know there were, my my editor was there and he's like you know he was texting me or sending me emails he's like you didn't win the Hugo and I was like oh okay well you know sometimes you don't win a Hugo uh, yeah. and then he's yeah. like and then he was like and then another email follows about 20 minutes later once he got all the you know the, the listings of rankings mm-hmm. and stuff like that in all caps, it's like you lost by one vote, and I was like, "Holy fuck, that's amazing!" It's the best right? way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's the best way to do it. Is the best way to do it is to almost win and just have a glorious, a glorious flame out, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. sort of like, and I and and I immediately emailed the guy who did win, and I and I was like, in all caps, one fucking vote, and then underneath <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. Uh, underneath that, it was like, seriously, though, congratulations. That was awesome. That's amazing. Congratulations. Because, you know, again, you can either be like, oh, this is a referendum on me, a zero-sum game, or you can be like, I fucking lost in the most awesome way possible, and you made that possible for me to have. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Are you ready for so, the, the... Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. No, 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 no. I'm done. Okay. I'm just... You're I'm done. Okay. I'm okay. off now. So I was going to say, are you ready for the uh, the happy question and the last productivity-related question? Sure. All right. And I think I already know the answer to this because I've seen the photographs on Twitter. Do you yeah. celebrate your successes? And if so, how? And I believe one of them is a monstrosity. <laughs> You're speaking, of course, of the beast. The beast, yes. It is literally called the beast. It is literally called the yeah. beast. I did not name it the beast, but it is the beast. And for everybody who's like, what the hell are they talking about? It is a six-necked guitar. And the guitar necks are, in order, a 12-string, a six-string with Floy Rose tremolo, a five-string bass, a four-string bass, a seven-string uh, like heavy metal guitar, again, with a Floyd Rose tremolo, uh, and then a baritone uh, guitar. So each of the 
next has a basically a different guitar on it. And I got that. So what, what, what had happened was I very recently um, had some good news about a project that I can't tell anybody about yet because right, right. Other, other people need to announce it. But basically they were like, eh, here's a whole bundle of money, right? And like, how am I possibly, uh, how am I possibly going to, you know, what am I going to do with that money? And the answer is, is I'm going to save almost all of it and invest yeah. part of it. And because again, as previously mentioned, the ride won't last forever. But, you know, one part of it, I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy money. Uh, and I saw that this six necked guitar was uh, available uh, on auction. And I saw how much it was for. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bid on this. There's no way that I'm going to get it because it's just such a ridiculous thing. And it has a storied uh, history, right? It was right, played right. by Prince Charles. It was displayed in a museum. Bill Bailey, who is a famous UK comedian, took it on tour and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's a not insignificant, you know, conversation piece. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah. what the hell? I will, I will bid on it. I will almost certainly be, be outbid, and that will be fine. And I was not outbid. Yeah, you were not outbid. Oh, fuck. Well, what was I thinking? And, <laughs> you know, the good news is because I, whenever I do something like this, I always do clear it with Chrissy because as to go back to where we began, she is the organized one. and anytime I want to do something stupid, I clear it with her first. And if she goes, no, don't do that. Then I don't do it because she's sensible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, hey, I don't know why you want to do this, but okay, go ahead. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, and so I won it. And then becomes this thing of you won this ridiculous six neck guitar and it's in the UK and you have to ship it and you can't like shove it into a gig bag and in a cardboard yeah. box. You actually and, have and you to. can't you can't that's not a carry-on guitar it's not a carry-on guitar and it's it, it's 40 pounds right uh and it's you know it's ridiculous um and so the shipping nearly cost as much as the guitar itself <laughs> uh and it, it, but you know the thing is is though it arrives and i'm just like and i open it up and i just look at the thing and i'm just like this is the both the m most awesome and most ridiculous thing I've ever done in, in my life, right? Awesome because everybody who looks at it is just like, oh my God, how does that exist in the world that we exist in? Uh, and ridiculous because it's, you know, it's not practical. It's not like oh. I'm sitting there. I'm, there's no value proposition to it. I'm not like sitting there talking to Christy. Is like, if I buy this guitar, I never have to buy another guitar again, right? Right. Because, no. <laughs> um, and, and, and I did say to her, like, when I bid on it, I was like, look, I'm building, because I'm building out a music room, and that's what else I've been doing with my you know, right, recent right. success is building the music room. Uh, I said, this will be a conversation piece, a piece of art for the music room. People will come down to the music room, and there will be no doubt that you are in the music room, because <laughs> the first thing you will see in the music room is this ridiculous six neck guitar. And she's like, okay, because as again, for a guitar, it's expensive per neck. Oh, yeah. It's okay. As a piece of original art, shockingly affordable. Shockingly affordable. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Shockingly affordable. Um, so that's part of it. Um, 
honestly, though, the thing that I mostly do with success is, aside from, you know, the immediate thing of I'm building a music room so I can have, so I can uh, have something to distract me uh, uh, and to learn how to play instruments at age 50 Mm -hmm. plus, um, is most of the time I'm just, you know, uh, I don't really dwell on it. I like, like, you know, for example, I won the, so I won the Hugo, right. Right. For red shirts. Um, and I basically gave myself a week to be like, Dawes, I won the Hugo because I won the Hugo. Right. And that was, that was a lifetime, lifetime goal sort of thing. It's like the number of people who had won the Hugo before me was actually surprisingly low. It was like, maybe 28 or 29 or 30 or something like that. It's a small, it was a small number. Yeah. It's been a relatively small number since as well. Um, The, the, the club is small. The club is notable and you know, it's okay to be cool about that. But I gave myself a week and I was like, okay, now you got to go back to work. Right. Right. Um, So, or like, so when a new book comes out, it's like, I say to everybody, we're going to dinner. I'm paying. Right. Uh, and that's what I actually, what I, that's basically what I tend to do is be like, all right, time for sushi. I'm buying, you know, uh, or I take my friends out to dinner or something like that. Um, because it's the, you know, I don't want to say it's like you get jaded by it because I love every success that I have. And I'm like, my life is awesome. You know, that sort of thing. But also, yeah, you know, it's like, it's okay to be like, yeah, this is super cool. But it's also the thing of, um, it's also this is going to, again, super out of context. This sounds like a really shitty, obnoxious thing to say. Um, so <laughs> just whatever people listening do not take, take this out of context. Right. Um, there's only so much you can do with every, with every success, right? Um, it's not that each success is not cool and notable and happy making because they are all cool and notable and happy making, but there's also a limited number of ways that you can celebrate, you know, and also, you know, it's not like I'm like, it's like, all right, we're jetting off to Cancun to celebrate, you know, or something like that. Because right. I'm cheap. You know, I'm not going to like jet off to Cancun. Um, I say I'm cheap after having bought a six neck guitar, but in a general sense, right? Yeah. Um, so for, for, for me, the speed of my sort of celebration of success is to, you know, take friends and family out to dinner uh, or to do that sort of stuff. No, not, not always. Like, for example, when. I got the big contract from tour, right? Which was right. a ridiculous amount of money. One of the things that I wanted to do um, that I wasn't able to do uh, was buy Chrissy a convertible, right? Because going back to the thing that she's the organized one who actually keeps mm-hmm. alive on an even keel, I literally could not have the success that I've had without her, right? right. It's just, no, it just wasn't going to happen. I'm, I'm not a self-made man. Chrissy is the important part of you know, the Scalzi Corporation. So I was going to buy her a surprise, uh, you know, uh, Mustang convertible. And, and I was like, I'm just going to buy it. And it's just going to show up. And she was going to love it. And I'm like, sorry, my brain is like, but is she, is she going to love it? Yeah. Is she? Cause it's a lot of money for a surprise. Uh, and so I worked a Mustang convertible into a conversation and she's like, yeah, no, I don't really like those. And I'm like, Oh, ugh. And I had to admit to her, I was like, all right, cards on yeah. the table. I was going to buy you one. I was going to buy you one to celebrate my love for you, my appreciation for everything that you've done to us. 
get us to this point of success because you deserve it. But now I've been thwarted. So you have a coupon now for a car sometime. I don't know when. And six years later, I'm finally going to get rid of that car. I'm finally going to get it because the new electric Ford F-150 is coming out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And she's yeah. like looking at it. She's like, that, that shit is cool. And I'm like, remember you have a coupon. <laughs> she's like, okay, I will. Yes, let's, let's do that. So now six years after the success of that ridiculous tour contract where I got 13 books, um, uh, I, um, I'm finally going to be able to uh, give her a really cool car. And those mm-hmm. Ford F-150 Lightnings are really super cool i mean aside from being electric they've got that oh, yeah. trunk that you could that is larger than my first apartment wait they, they got they, lie down they put a front you know, truck in the electric f-150 well i guess they there's don't a front the trunk. motor in it. yeah there's no there's no motor so it's like it's yeah. literally it's like it's like a 400 liter trunk which i hate that word but right. it's awesome it's just a met and the seats are because i've told her it's like buy the expensive one Oh, because yeah. one, we can afford it, and because it's got all the doodads, and I want those. Um, so it's got <laughs> seats that are the front seats lie all the way down, and uh-huh. they are they are heated, they are ventilated, and they massage you, right? Uh, yeah, so, that, that's the one thing I think is lacking on my Camaro. Um, right, is, is the heated seats. They don't have to lay all right. the way down, but but heated seats are like a must-have. At this point, yeah, after, they're, they're, after getting them an Ursula's truck, just must have. Yeah, right. No, it's a it's a thing, and like like I said, so all these sort of and the thing that I really like because we live out in the country is like if the power goes out, you can plug your house into your goddamn F-150 Lightning, and it will power your house for three days. Okay. How is that not amazing? We live in the future. I, right? I was going to say now now I know what I can get to satisfy the the ridiculous but also practical because I did make a promise when I bought the, the Camaro that my next vehicle would be practical. That's a practical right. but ridiculous vehicle. It's hugely it's hugely practical. Yeah. It's got it's got you know the thing is it's got like twelve outlets on it, you know, AC outlets including the two forty volt. So you could power like you could go out and like, you know, power a whole set of you know, power tools. Yeah, or we yeah. have friends who are like, who are like, we're gonna make a, we're gonna power a concert off the Ford F one fifty. There was yeah. something on the, uh, there was something in uh, on Twitter just the other day uh, with with the hybrid F one fifty, which is already out, where somebody was at a wedding and the power went out and it was like, oh no, the wedding is canceled. And he's like, no wait, I've got a Ford F one fifty, and they plugged it in and then <laughs> you know. They yeah. can keep dancing and stuff like that. So that's how I'm. Uh, that's how I'm celebrating my uh, success belatedly. Right. But on a right. on an everyday but on an everyday basis, it's go out and have burritos. Or make one of your burrito abominations. So. Well, you know, no, that's kind of a. That's not how I'm going to celebrate a success. Um, that's how I'm going to okay. punish people for not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't believe in me. Here's this burrito, and burrito in quotes. Yes, yes. Um, that's that's all the all the big questions. Oh well, that's um, good. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm worried that we haven't covered enough here. <laughs> well, there, there we are at 
we're at one hour and 53 minutes here. I mean, there's going to be some editing to this, I'm sure. But, yeah, you know, yeah, but, but, I, have, I have gone on. I apologize. Oh, you, you, are, you are fine. Believe me, you are fine. So the last two things are, like, I actually need to ask this, but, you know, I, I want the people to hear it from the man himself. Where do we find out more of your stuff online? Like, where can we find well, you? Well, uh, you can uh, just go to my website, which mm -hmm. is scalzy.com, um, or alternately just type the word whatever into Google, and the first non-dictionary definition uh, listing is my site. Right. Um, and it will go take it directly to the air. And I've had that blog for 23 years, now, uh, 23 years as of next month, and literally everything is on there. Uh, so that's how you can find out the latest and greatest. Or you can follow me on Twitter mm -hmm. um, at Scalzi. Yep. Uh, I have a Facebook fan page, which is, again, Facebook.com slash Scalzi. There's a recurring theme of every time I'm there's a social yeah. media. Yeah, I go and I reserve Scalzi because, you know, consistency across many different uh, uh, social media is important. Except for Instagram, where there was already a Scalzi. So I'm Jay Scalzi. If I'm not Scalzi, yeah. I'm Jay Scalzi. So. I was going to say, I wasn't, I wasn't no. quick enough on, on Instagram either. I'm Sonny Kevin there. So, yeah. 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 Stupid Instagram. I know. But that's where, that's where you can find me. Yep. Right. And as I was explaining before the show, as everyone who listens regularly knows, we don't need money. Um, obviously, right. you don't need money. Is no, there, I don't. Right. Is there a charitable organization you'd like people to... Um, to give to? I would say um, one, of the, one of the things that I always think is very important, particularly these days, uh, mm. is uh, two types of charities. One are local uh, charities that address hunger. So yep. if there's a local food bank near you, and there's mm -hmm. almost always a local food bank near you, go ahead and donate to that because they will need it. And generally speaking, don't just give them your cans of green beans, actually give them money because yeah, the green yeah. beans are, the green beans are fine, but the money will actually be able to get them the things that they uh, need or alternately ask them, what is it that you actually need to have delivered to you right now? And they may tell you, well, we actually need formula or we need diapers, something yeah. else like that. Uh, and then that's a, that's a great way to address that. But um, local food bank or hunger-related charity mm -hmm. that is lo local to you, that's always very important. Beyond that, yeah. um, and I think this is something that's important to pretty much anyone who writes, um, is literacy. Um, yeah. And so I, I encourage people to look at literacy charities as well. Um, the two classic ones I, that I think about, because I think the best way to encourage literacy is to start young, um, are um, reading is fundamental, which was huge when I was younger. Um, yes. And then also another charity, which is called First Book. And, oh. uh, which, and the idea behind First Book is obviously, you know, giving kids their first books, stuff like that. Sort of like what Dolly Parton does with her imagination thing. Uh, yes. Imagination yes. library. But, but Dolly, I think, I don't know if she takes funds. I don't know if you can donate to Dolly's Imagination Library, but if you can, that's a good one too. Everybody yeah. loves Dolly. Um, but as, those are as the someone who got hunger. his Dolly shot, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. God, she is, she is probably the best human alive right now. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm like 95% sure that she's like the best, best like human that w- we all know about. I'm sure that somebody out there is even more selfless. Than well, she I was going to say before, before Dolly, it was Fred Rogers. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We have, we, you have to, I mean, there's, there's the secular pantheon, uh, pantheon right. of what is it like Fred Rogers and uh, Bob, the, the, the painter guy and Bob Ross. Steve Irwin and all, all those sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Ross. Uh, but alive today, we got ourselves, we got ourselves a Dolly Parton. And it took me so many years to realize how awesome she is because, you know, as you, when you're younger, you're like, huh, huh, Dolly Parton, huh, 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 you know? And he was like, yeah, yeah. not only, not only is she, you know, an amazing human being, but oh my God, as a song, do you know that she wrote Jolene and I will always love you in the same goddamn week? Did you know that? I, I had a, I, I seem to remember reading that one. And, and I mean, I look at the, the bit where she could have gone to Nashville and just left it all behind, but instead has put all of her money back into improving like the mountains of Tennessee and her hometown of Pigeon Forge. And, you know, yeah. the literacy and just instead of going off and faffing about with it is like, nope, this is where I came from. They took care of me. Now I'm going to take care of them. Right. And yeah, like I said, you know, recognizing, recognizing, you know, it took me years and, and being a creative person myself to recognize what an amazing creative person she was. And then having to deal with my own business uh, <laughs> allowed me to recognize how, what an amazing businesswoman she was. And then finally trying to be the sort of decent human that I ought to be made me recognize what a fundamentally decent human being oh, she yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Dolly is, Dolly is, should be everybody's role model. I mean, seriously. And, and, and add to that that uh, she is still with her husband of how many years? Um, oh, and he just yeah, stays like, out of the spotlight and does his thing. Yep. You know, yep. no, they have a, they seem to have a very solid relationship. It's yeah. they are relationship goals, you yeah. know, and, oh, yeah. and, you know, I'm married 26 years, so I can, uh, I can appreciate that. It's like, yeah. uh, it's nice to be, it's nice to be married. Speaking of which, Chrissy just opened up the door. Okay. She's waiting to me right now. Well, yeah, no, I, Ursula just came in to make sure to remind me that it's dark out and I need to make sure my chickens have all gone to bed. Right. And so, it's, yeah. we, we literally just crashed past the two hour mark. We're at two yep. hours and seven seconds right now. Yeah, no. So um, then uh, for the people at home, uh, let me just say, or from the people at home, thank you so much for taking the time out. Sure. And, sure. Um, you know, uh, and anytime you want to come back, um, you're more than welcome. thank you yeah and for the people at home we will be right back after well this
and we are back. Man, I had a great time talking to John. John is always a lot of fun to talk to. Um, so yeah, and uh, I want to thank Mr. Scalzi for appearing on the show. It took us a little wrangling, but we did get it done. So um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Are you ready for this week's word? What is this week's word? This week's word is Kaiju Preservation Society, the title of Mr. Of, of Mr. John Scalzi's next book. Will that all fit in the thing? It will. Okay. I, I, I have already set up the badge and the code and everything, and it fits. So there you go. Um, and uh, the badge this week has a burrito on it. Of course it I does. couldn't find a good picture of a kaiju, so I said, it's John. We'll put a burrito on it because, yeah. So... Go check out John's stuff. Go get the badge at productivityalchemy.com. And while you're there, you may see a link that says support us. And as we always say, do not actually no. give us money. No. I mean, uh, you can support us emotionally. Yeah. We love emotional we're, we're support. We're great. But uh, yeah. we do not need money. We are good. I'm not turning down money, but I would prefer that you folks give it to people who need it a hell of a lot more than we do. And who this week needs it more than we do? So, the first... There are two, really, uh, that were suggested by John. Uh, the first is your local food bank. Yes. Feed people. And so, uh, the first link on the page is for the charity this week is uh, Feeding America which does an amazing job. The second one is to um, literacy charities. Yes. So, I mean, straight up, reading is fundamental. And I've got another, I've got listed on my notes first book, so I will find out. But, you know, I've already linked two other, or one other reading charity other than reading is fundamental that is providing books to children in other countries who would not have access to them normally and working on literacy and this is, it's a huge deal. Yes. Right? Uh, the, the number one thing that improve like the number one, uh, thing that improves a society's like well-being in pretty much every statistical thing is, uh, literacy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Particularly, uh, among women, incidentally. If Particularly you among women. But, uh, yes. So that's it. Also, you know, I, mm -hmm. uh, since I make a living writing books, um, please make more customers for me. Uh, I mean... Yes. Very much so. <laughs> and that's it for this week. Uh, we hope you all have a good week. We're about to go see if ours is, and do um, your best. I mean, I, I'm going to have dental work tomorrow. Right, yeah, that's why we can't record on Tuesday, plus I'm recording two interviews. Yes. And so... Yeah. And then Sorry, when... I interrupted you. And no, you... no, 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 I... it's, it's fine, it's fine. We're going to do our best... This week, uh, it's going. There may be trials and tribulations. Oh my God, that's right. I've got my COVID booster, so everything after that may just be a blur. Yes. So we'll find out. Um, so everybody else out there, do your best to um, stay productive, because I don't think we are. Hey, my dentist told me to take this med half an hour before the appointment and don't make any plans for the day. Sounds like a plan to me. Wait, I'm the driver. Yup. <laughs>